Hey, I'm Jamie Neal, host of 360 Yourself. In 2014, I had a breakdown and was hospitalized. Too much work, too much anxiety, too much coffee, not enough self-care and not enough balance. In the hospital, laying over my thoughts, I had to rethink my entire life. The doctor said I was overworked and my body gave up. Now, I'm not gonna say it wasn't scary, but it was a turning point for me. From there, I started to rebuild myself reading hundreds of self-help books and questioning everything from why do we have triggers? What is ego? What is persistence and motivation? What is manifesting? And what is identity? Many years later, someone recommended that I start a podcast. I was always curious about how others lead their lives. And thus, 360 Yourself was born, interviewing incredible minds on how they understand themselves and how they utilize knowledge and awareness to set out into their space. 360 Yourself is a dedicated podcast meeting brilliant and curious minds and looking at the world around them. I speak to artists, musicians, sports athletes, authors, CEOs, and experts in human behaviors, released every Sunday at 12 o'clock. I ask questions about their mindset, journey, values, ethos, to fully understand how each of their minds work and process information. How can we become more aware of ourselves to grow to the ultimate person we know we can be? How do you 360 yourself to 360 the world around you? If you do enjoy our episodes that you're listening to and certain themes and topics ignite within you, please visit our Instagram page at 360 underscore yourself to tell us how you're growing and learning. Or you can email us jamie at 360yourself.co.uk. That's jamie at 360yourself.co.uk. And I'll read out every episode at the end stories and comments from you, the audience, the 360 years. Thank you, and remember to 360 yourself. Hey, Laura, how are you doing? What's up, Jamie? How's it going? <laughs> well, good. Well, we've had to be chatting beforehand, well, before it started for like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, and I go, you know, we should actually start the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot in there. Um, so the one question I always love to ask um, everyone that I bring on the show is, where are you talking with me today? Where are you? Where are you in the world? I'm in London, specifically. So I'm in, uh, I'm north, I'm up in Highgate, right opposite Waterloo Park. Yummy. I, I mean, and London at the moment isn't the best of weathers. At the moment. Did you also, did you hear this crazy um, storm that happened in the north of England and it's still going on and people are without electricity for like four or five days. What is going on? I know. I, uh, it's funny because I was listening to, I was in Ramsgate the weekend that that hit and mm. there was, there were questions whether it hit the sort of Southeast coast. And um, on my way back to London, I was listening to a radio show. I love listening to the talk, the talk shows and not music at the moment yeah. on radio specifically. It's just too many commercials. Um, but there was, it was the world's, no, the world's highest pub um, somewhere in that part of the world um, that they had a three-day lock-in as a result of everybody losing their electricity. It was amazing. There was an Oasis cover band that got, you know, that basically no one could leave for three days, like perfect storm, literally. Um Wow. And so they hosted everybody and they were doing pub quizzes and they had a whole load of stuff going on. It was a community locked in at a pub for three days. I think it was two nights, three days. And the, um, you know, the, the radio host was sort of talking to them around, you know, 
the camaraderie, like the sort of the community spirit around that. And mm. obviously totally tragic. And in London, we don't often experience stuff like that, especially for, you know, that amount of time. But mm. the idea that everybody went out one night and they just never went home for two nights. I, I know. Love that. <laughs> well, so but, but yeah, you, I, I don't think you could ever would have that in London. I mean, in my hometown no. in Devon, you would, I mean, it's very, very community faced. Like my local pub, everyone knows everyone, but like, it's a shame that you wouldn't, if that did happen in London, it, it wouldn't have the same sort of effect. You wouldn't, the community wouldn't go into one, unless you were in like someone like Hampstead or like on the sort of that, those, those parts of London, where it yeah. feels more of a community thing. Um, yeah, you mean like round the corner? <laughs> yeah, like round, like, next yeah door. like round, like round the corner. But like, yeah, it's it's so funny, isn't it? Like, and all, and also like, it's just crazy how like I, I keep saying about SAD, like the, the like seasonal depression. Like, I am really feeling it at this moment in time, um, and yeah. it's just, and I keep saying to you, like, I just need, to, I just need sun. But it's crazy how like climate change going to is actually happening around us and and you can see obviously the storms and in the weather at the moment it's just going crazy and just like what is going on like honestly seriously i know i know it's pretty mad and bit, just going back to being down in ramsgate it was pretty brutal it was ice ice cold but there's actually something for me personally you know i love to walk on the beach and and see the ocean and see a horizon it changes color and you know yeah. it's pretty dramatic whether you're down there or you're just looking at it you know whether you're actually on the beach absolutely ice cold we've got a lot of friends that are swimming all year round you wouldn't get me in there but um <laughs> no, I appreciate it and I know they they swear by it I think I'm missing out on something big time there but uh but they absolutely swear by it but there's something pretty commanding around you know the elements being out in the elements and although there's you know, about 30 seconds of daylight this time of year. That's pretty Literally. tough, you know, for everybody. Yeah. Wake up, it's pitch black, you know, 3.30 pitch black. But there are also some beautifully crisp, sunny days as well, you know? Yeah, and especially... Where if you just feel if, totally alive. Yeah, and if you... But I think if you're near nature, like I have loads of like nature parks by me in Devon. And when it is like yeah. really crisp, and there's a bit of light. It's the most amazing thing to walk through a forest in those yeah. moments. I think if you're in a city where it's yeah. just dark and you just go and it's cold, I just think yeah. that's when people and I and I've been talking to a lot of people about that about how they're feeling being cooped up inside because I don't think many people are going out because it is a bit too cold and a bit too dark. Um, yeah. So I've whole, got dogs. So I've still got no choice. Yeah, you've got. Yeah, <laughs> so you can't castle. Um, yeah. So um, we could obviously carry on and talk about the weather and uh, obviously it's fascinating. But what I want to ask you, obviously, is you have had an, such an amazing career. Um, what I, and of course, I'm sure all the all listeners would love to know is how did you get to where you are now? Like, where did it all start from? That's a big one. Yeah, for that. <laughs> because a, it's, a, um... it's a big, you've had a very long and <laughs> very, very diverse and interesting career. So it's, uh, yeah, take your time. Well, I think what I'd love to start by saying is that there's been, there have been so many elements to it, but they've all been sort of root, very much rooted in sort of my heartbeat as an artist. So it sort of doesn't matter what area of that I've touched in some ways. I feel like there's always been 
that inner compass of bit of gravitating towards whether it's been you know the music industry being a musician working in music management um working with artists one-on-one in music sort of you know managing just you know on a sort of very um you know not in a professional way but advising and just being basically being next to creativity in so many different ways has basically gotten me to this point and that's an inner compass that's not anything that's planned I don't think anyone in a sort of in a creative environment would say I set out to do this and I did it because I think just naturally the way that your brain works, it sort of takes you on this amazing sort of tour of life. And then you meet people along the way and they say, hang on a second, you're here, but I think you'd be amazing at this. I know so many people that have told that story, you know, over the time. It's like, you know, for me personally, I started playing drums when I was 11 years old. I sat down, I asked at 10 years old, I asked my parents for a drum kit. I was really fortunate at the time. This is going to sound a bit crude, but my mum was hard of hearing. So it, but it really worked to my advantage because having a drum kit, most kids say, can I have a drum kit? The parents are like, no way. But my mum and my dad were like, yeah, absolutely. No, no big deal. So, um, so started playing drums at the age of 11, literally sat down, started playing pretty much like it was the most natural thing in the world. And then, you know, gradually from the age like, you know, 13, 14, started joining bands. So during school, I was in bands. I'd normally kicked out of anything that was official. So orchestra wouldn't have me because I was too sort of, I don't want to say like aggressive, but I really wanted to play like rock and roll drums and they wanted like, you know, soft timpani. And that really wasn't my sort of thing. Um, and... So then I moved into, you know, gigging basically from the age of 14. And my, we used to pack my drum kit up into the back of my dad's car. And he used to take me to what is now like hipster central. But it was the Globe on Morning Lane um, in Hackney. And that was a very different place uh, back in. I'm trying to think about that. There's got to be the 90s. Well, basically I was 14 and 15 and I was playing hour and a half sets on Friday and Saturday nights with a band. We were called Affliction. It was like the best thing ever. I was, I was sure we were going to be absolute rock stars. That didn't happen. But then that was the basis of me always being in and around, A, working with people that were sort of better than me because the everybody in the band was a few years older. And then... You know, then you have conversations with managers and then the managers say, well, hang on a second, you're actually a bit switched on to this. Where does that come from? And again, just inner compass and understanding. I think one of the biggest things for me is always asking questions and always being interested very instinctively. It's not something that's planned. It's, you know, no one's got like a handbook like, hang on a second, I, you know, I've got to figure out this, this and this. It's something that, you know, a conversation starts and then your curiosity and say so that was also a really big thing as well for me, my curiosity um, to always, you know, look through the door that everyone said, don't look through there. I always just instinctively went through that door or wanted to peep in at least and find out what was going on. Then that turned into doing work experience at an amazing music management company that was looking after the Spice Girls, David Bowie, Lenny Kravitz. You know, it was 
like at the time Desiree was really big. It was like, you know, it was an absolute dream. Worked at the V Festival. So it's always, always around that environment. And then, of course, you're in those sort of circles. Even if it's work experience, you're soaking up everything. Um, I took the call from Jerry. Uh, just a small side note, just to hopefully make everyone smile. I took the call from Jerry Halliwell to say that she wasn't going to she wasn't going to turn up for the national lottery. And that was a really big moment. She called the office and just said, and she had to always this, you know, really sort of raspy voice and never announce, you know, no one ever announces who they are when they call, especially when, you know, we know who they are. We're taking calls from them all day, every day. And she, I picked up and she just said, is, is Alan there? And that was Alan Edwards, who's an absolute, you know, like the, OG of music industry. He was managing David Bowie's career, you know, a lot of different endorsement deals that were going on. It was pretty groundbreaking in a lot of ways, what was going on there. But essentially, it was PR and it was all about connecting artists to commerce and, you know, making sure that the right sto story was told at the right time and equally the authenticity around that. And if it wasn't an authentic story, how would we be? positioning what needed to be told so again you know rooted in creativity and that's like you know the mind as much as it is the practicality and I was just you know as an assistant I was doing work experience so I was just literally soaking everything up um and then then what happened I had you know, I was a drummer. It was at a time when, you know, early 2000s, when um, female musicians were starting to be booked as, uh, because people really wanted that aesthetic. So I was being booked to, you know, play on, you know, whether it be TV shows on, on live stages um, and ended up um, playing for Westlife at the Brit Awards at Earl's Court. Wow. Um, in a, and anybody who knows me would know that this will be my absolute worst nightmare in a corset, a Daniel Galvin wig, um, a sort of a rah-rah skirt and six inch heels, which I could not walk wow. to the stage in as a live show. It was absolutely horrific. And I only mention that again, because then you're suddenly seeing scale. You know, you're in rehearsals, you're understanding really what goes on behind the scenes. You're seeing, you know, I saw you, I'll never forget, I saw, for example, at that time, you know, you two um, rehearsing, you know, it was a live television show. It was enormous. It, there were, you know, the stakes are high. There's a lot of nerves. Um, and then I, then what happened? That's another bit. Oh, and then long story short, terrible at telling a short story. Forgive me, Jamie. Um, and then I moved on to, playing in lots of different other bands with different record who were having different labels, but I was brought in as the female drummer um, for a lot of development artists. And then, you know, I was gigging, I was doing, you know, lots of different nights all around town. I was really found myself in a community of musicians and agents and artists. And just this, again, like the rocket fuel of a community that was doing many different things, songwriters, managers, so I was soaking all of that up. And then I ended up being offered a gig um, in Los Angeles, but it was, the gig was, 
it was actually Roland Bolan, Mark Bolan's son. Um, I did a sort of a, I stood in for uh, for him for his other drummer uh, who wasn't well. And I got put forward for that gig and we sort of struck up a bit of a, you know, an early friendship. And at the time they just said, why don't you come out to the West Coast? And I was, you know, I was early 20s. It was a no brain. It was the most incredible opportunity. Um, and this was back in early 2000s. And I, I flew to L.A. to stay for three weeks and I ended up, you know, with a visa, long story short, having to call my poor parents after like, you know, <laughs> three and a half weeks and just saying, I'm not coming back or no, I, I'm going to get a visa and I'm moving out of here. I've, I've had so many stories of that, that people go and then they just never return. Because they, they, they stay and they get a visa and that sort of thing. They're just like, are they falling When you fall LA? into that world, when you fall into that world and it embraces you, there's like, there's only two schools of thought about LA. It is the coldest place on earth and don't even bother stepping there because Hollywood Boulevard is like vacant and it's got no soul or the community embrace me and I'm never coming home. They're the only, like, I feel like it's so extreme how people feel about it because it's a, you know, everyone's in their car there. There's no, you know, I was so lucky because I fell into, I went for a haircut on the second day that I arrived. After I arrived, I sat down and I thought, oh God, it, I'm somewhere different. Like I'm going to be here for a few weeks because that's all it was supposed to be originally. Mm. And, um, and I sat down, I'll never forget. Her name was Athena. We became very, very dear friends. Um, and she was the hairstylist and it was this amazing like warehouse space right on the corner of Sunset where it meets Hollywood Boulevard mm -hmm. in Silver Lake. It's called yeah. Rudy's. Like, the best memories ever. I sat down and she just said, what haircut do you want? I thought, oh, my God, she's going to absolutely like terrorize my hair. And I don't know what I want. She's and I said, oh, I'm not quite sure because I think she was pretty commanding and it really threw me. <laughs> and uh and she said, well, what do you do? It was like really impatient at that time. And yeah. I was like, I'm a drummer. And she said, hold on a second. I know exactly what haircut to give you. And I need to make a phone call because a friend of mine's looking for a drummer. Oh, wow. And that, yeah. And that's what set me on the next chapter, which was really significant. And I was, you know, I was 22, 23. How, it was how amazing the universe literally, I mean, that's a lot of it to do is, I put myself in the right space and place, but also it's about luck as well in, in a sort of sense as well, the universe. Because yeah. I mean, you happen to sit down and you happen to need a, a drummer. It was crazy. And I mean, there's so many elements that led up to that. Like for example, I was staying in Echo Park at the time and it, sort of the distance, let's say it's between like Clapton and Shoreditch, let's just say something yeah. like that for like London reference in terms of, it's not a million miles away. There's a neighboring... Far. It's far, it's far and I had just arrived. No one would take me on the bus because I didn't know, you know, I, she, my friend basically said, Do people even get, get the bus. Well, <laughs> it was me and the incredible community of like the, the cleaners, like Mexican cleaners. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It, that was the, and, you know, once or twice been, you know, thought of as like a, you know, Mediterranean or like, Mexican something yeah. so yeah, yeah. basically all that you know Hispanic community is like you're one of us so um dark hair brown eyes olive skin yeah that's the you know mandate so basically I walked all the way from Echo Park um 
to Rudy's Sunset in Hollywood and I got the most bizarre looks. And of course, wow. in London, everyone's out and about, you're on the streets. So if I hadn't have done that walk, if I hadn't have arrived at Rudy's when I had arrived, I would have potentially gotten somebody else because it was like a bit, you know, you're in the chair for 30 minutes. It's a bit yeah. like chop shop vibes. It's not, you know, let's sit down and, talk, you know, have a big talk chat about, about this hair. Yeah. No, yeah, no, no, yeah. no. Like very in and out, you know. And um, so, yeah, that's what happened. That's crazy. Really. I, I, when, I, when I first went to L.A., I walk, tried to walk from North Hollywood to West Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. I, well, yeah. I, because I am a Londoner. So I was like, I'm going to walk around. I want to see the sights. I just wanna, and I got to like where the, the highway motorway is between North Hollywood yeah. and West Hollywood. And then I realized I couldn't walk any further. And I was like, yeah. I've already walked like an hour and a half, two hours. And so then I had to call an Uber. And then I realized from there on, I was like, okay, I'll go to get Ubers everywhere. Because I was like, you just can't walk. You can't walk it. Um, I'm smiling when you tell that story because when I lived there, there were no, there was no such thing as Uber. It's only yeah, like well, 90 years old right now, but it didn't even exist. You couldn't even hail a cab. It was illegal in the city to hail a cab. So your commitment was like, you've got to get from A to B and you just had to walk or, you know, at one point, like later down the line, I got a bicycle and that was a whole nother thing. Like I nearly died 3000 times with the LA drivers, yeah, I you know, I would definitely not the be big, doing you know, escalades and yeah, it was crazy, but it was so much fun and I had nothing to lose. I had everything to like live for and, you know, really uh, my eyes were wide open. And so my first show, so imagine this, right? So two days in, I go for this haircut. Athena says, listen, a friend of mine's looking for a drummer. That night, I was at a downtown rehearsal space. Two nights later, I was playing at the House of Blues. Oh, wow. In West Hollywood. I mean, it was just like, that's because the band was about to sign to V2 Records at the time. And that right. was like the best and biggest and most rock and roll label at the time. They had the white stripes. It's like the really cool, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like music. Very, very music centric. So, um, and that's where it all started. And then someone changed the course of my life a very dear friend called Giovanni four years in after you know various touring and back and forth I think it was like three years in um and a friend of mine who was a producer said listen I don't care what you're doing tomorrow I I'm missing a PA on a job I just need an extra set of hands I can't find anyone we're going to be up in the hills with Vanity Fair with Norman Jean Roy we're shooting Mary J Blige I was like count me in that's it no brainer yeah. that's all you had to say but, you <laughs> yeah. know absolute dream um so I went so I walked on set I'll never forget I was absolutely my eyes popped out of my head I'd never seen anything so polished there was you know, manicurists, there were, you know, personal chef, there were, yeah. you know, there was and this, this, but I'd also been living, it's a long story, but I also, um, bless her, I blagged a gig as a housekeeper. And again, anyone that knows me will know that I can't cook. I'm terrible at anything domesticated. I washed her car. I looked after her dog who's called Larrabee because he was found on, he was a stray found on Larrabee right. um, Avenue in Los Angeles in West Hollywood, right opposite. Um, uh, just uh, What's it? The Viper room right there. Right. And, um, and I became 
just like a, an extra, like a extra, like extra a, pair of hands, a house, like yeah. a house help. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I was living in, you know, in the canyon in Beverly Hills in this insane home, insane. And every morning I, you know, and this incredible woman, um, her name was Barbara Devorzon. She was so fabulous. She was so glamorous. And um, I, I, I bought her breakfast every morning. Um, I made her, you know, I, I also bought it. We also part of the job description was she, because she was a major, major art collector and dealer. She used to sell to, you know, the, you know, um, Kirk Douglas and Anne Douglas. She right. used to host, it was incredible. So she used to host these, um, these art dinners mm-hmm. for, friends and sort of anyone interested in that level of collection yeah yeah um and so part of my role was to cook the dinner (laughs) hold on it wasn't it wasn't you know fish fingers and chips we are talking like a sit down three course meal of course she knew this but she was so fabulous and we just had a little bit of a sort of a lovely she i think and again just to say like people by people right and that yeah. was what I learned the whole time more than anything and that was that was my sort of training ground in Los Angeles first of all I had an English accent I could have said like you are a anything yeah it could have been you know you know like rude as anything and there would been like you just said that so beautifully you are mate you know? say again <laughs> yeah yeah say again so Anything that I did, it actually didn't matter because all I used to say was, Barbara, I'm doing my best. <laughs> and she used to look at me and she said, I know. So I, <laughs> I, I, did, I used to I can clean literally, the pool. I can picture this. Like, I know you are. I know. A pat I on know. the back. <laughs> no, but she was, she was so generous because she'd actually had professional housekeepers. But I think it was at the time, it was my sort of my chutzpah. Um, she really you know she and she could tell us an artist again she was giving me an opportunity she was supporting me and I didn't have a car and we lived right in the canyon so every day I used to be driven down in um I think she had a Jaguar I'm trying to remember but it was like a like an adult car like my my friends were driving around in Ford Broncos and like you know, beating up Chevys and stuff. Yeah, and she was in this um, big, in music land, and she was in this like beautiful. And she used to drop me on Beverly Hills, but um, Beverly Hills, and be like, "Okay, I'll see you tomorrow or something," because I had keys, but I'd done my task for the day. Yeah. So she'd bring me down to you know where I could get a bus, basically. Yeah. Um, or my how bicycle, funny. and I'd ride into Hollywood. It was crazy. So how did you stay? So yeah. you were like, did you stay there as well then, or was you just? Yeah, I lived there. So oh, you lived no, there. I was. Yeah, because I had to earn my keep. That's, right, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, That's what yeah. happened. It was, yeah. it was absolutely incredible. So for these dinner parties, I brought in my music friends and some of them love cooking. So it was us lot from, you know, Echo Park and Silver Lake in this whole other world. Had, so why did yeah. I, I don't understand why she didn't like hire like a professional chef and that team What rather than you and your bandmates and people to come in. I know, it was so crazy when you say it like that. It sounds so strange. I know, but she was also pretty groundbreaking in her approach to everything. Her art collection was in her home, right? So 
dinner parties in the home. Like, I feel like she was an artist in many different ways herself. Right. Okay. Was, uh, you know, she was creative in her thinking. Mm-hmm. So that obviously supported the decisions she made. I mean, you know, why anybody would hire me in my early 20s to do anything other than, you know, like go into battle for them over a contract or play drums or, you know, talk to them about anything that I'd actually had half a level of experience in. Yeah, this yeah, woman yeah. was like... When I actually, it was a Craigslist ad. And when I answered it first, she asked me what I would make her for breakfast. This is so funny. I never talk about this stuff. And I think I said, so, I said she's like Jewish vibes, as am I, um, uh, ish. And she, I could tell that she wanted something really polished. And I was just like, oh my God, I don't, it was a phone call. I'll never forget making it. And um, she said to me, what would you make me for breakfast, lunch and dinner? And that was the in- that was the phone interview. And I said, well, for breakfast, I'd probably toast you a bagel and make some scrambled egg and, you know, get some, you know, smoked salmon like lox and something. And then for lunch, I'd probably and I was probably thinking was well, a tuna salad. I can do that. You can't screw that up too badly. And, uh-huh. you know, and then for dinner, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I said for that, but it was so basic. And in the end, I'll never forget, she said to me, Laura, I love you, but you're obviously not qualified for this job. And I was like, I know, but I want to look after the dog. And I really, you know, I really want to earn my keep. And she just said, listen, and this was the best bit. If I don't find anyone, I'll call you. So oh, wow. And then she did. Literally. And she did. Oh, wow. She couldn't find anyone. So I think that was the whole thing. Like she just, again, back to that you just get a vibe from somebody don't you you know yeah. you like so, and also that, also she likes you because yeah. she's got to spend a lot of time with you in that house i so, was waking her up in the morning yeah, i was so I mean, waking so you, her up with her coffee you know it's a very into, you're living with someone yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. it's major it was major so after that i basically i started dabbling in some production you know this mary j blige gig and then the vanity fair team said to the producer who when MIA, because he had to run a couple of, bless him, personal errands, but it was all the way down in to Beverly Hills and we were in the canyon. There was no phone reception. So he said to me, listen, I'm going to go for about 45 minutes. Don't worry. Everything's moving. No one's going to ask you to do anything. If it is, it's going to be, can you make me a coffee or can you get me this or get me that? You won't need, it's no responsibility. Uh-huh. Literally five minutes after he left, somebody from the magazine came up to me and absolutely went mental and was like, where is this? Where is Giovanni? This is a shot. You know, she went berserk. She absolutely went berserk. And I remember, I think I sort of took a step back and I thought, I've got two options. I can either problem solve in this scenario or I can just run for my life. Um, And whatever happened I decided to problem solve and then she said to Gio when he came back from the errand I want her on every job and so that's how the production thing started again people by people so I obviously I can't remember even remember what it was but she went I'll never forget absolutely bananas yeah but also I didn't look like I was from LA I sort of you know I'll never forget they said like from New York not LA and so I think, again, you sort of stand out a touch, but you're able to pull things off. 
Mm. And then people enjoy that there's a bit of ingredients around, you know, not everybody looks the same. You bring a different approach. You're thinking differently. Of course, again, British accent, they couldn't get enough of it. Winner. I sounded so different. Winner. I didn't literally could have said <laughs> this anything. Is literally, like, sorry. I say to any, any British people, I'm like, you're going to clean up if you go to LA because it's got an accent. <laughs> yeah. And it should be also, if you, the accent plus the ability to actually be fabulous and, and do your follow job. through. Yeah. If you've got those, you are one billion miles ahead of everyone else who's living there, there because they yeah. don't sometimes follow through and this is the thing exactly. with british people i think we're yeah. m- m- I, maybe I, maybe I, maybe this is incorrect but i feel like british people when you say you will go for a coffee or when you say i'm gonna i'm gonna do this production thing you sort of do it majority of people in, in thing but i think in yeah. la it's less people will will say what they mean or say what they yeah. do and so I think that's yeah. when British people go over and then people will just be like, oh, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you t- told me to get the document at 8 p.m. It will be there at 8 p.m. And it's just a bit like, so I think, and also then obviously the niceness and the, and, the, and the British accent as well also does help. But I think it's the following through thing that people really recognize when British people and go the integrity, to LA. Your integrity, like, you know, yeah. that's just, a, that's, a, that's a marker for anybody in business or personal, that integrity, the trust, if you can trust someone, you imagine the scale of the sorts of things that we're talking about. You go into an environment, there's a level of discretion. You know, you're dealing with people that are, you know, they're very exposed. You know, for Mary J. Blige at the time, it was her first shoot out of rehab. It was so, it was so exposing. Mm. And there was a real sense of making sure that that artist felt very protected, very comfortable. You know, it was a very close set, but everybody was there to support her to be able to, for her to be her best version. Mm. And if that's where you're coming from, I really believe that every time you will be brought back into that environment because not everybody is able to, you know, it's very, I always think it's very, even now after, you know, so many, working with so many, you know, fantastic people on whatever level, especially at that highest level, it's very protected. And if you're brought into that fold and if you're acknowledged as one of a trusted team, then you have to, you know, you have to make sure that you, you basically provide everything that they are expecting of you which is the trust the loyalty and that for me is that's the integrity and that's in my bones so mm, I sort mm. of you know it's non-negotiable yeah for me so. and so and so flash forward obviously you and then went in production and, and thus we have creative blood so yes it's so fascinating how people I, lo- I love pivots I mean we've I've talked to you about pivots beforehand but like how you've sort of like your life has sort of come full circle and it's all sort of marinated together into this amazing being that you are and and who you are now and I think it's it's really great and fascinating to see people's journeys of maybe they start here and then life throws them a curveball and they pivot and then 10 years later 15 years later they arrive at where they need to to be at but they needed to go through all this different 
experience and journey to get to where you are so then you can deliver the best of yourself to your craft yeah i mean i think that what happens at a certain i mean obviously you know moving to a different country one of the things that happens with that just naturally is you don't you're not even thinking about it at the time but you arrive and you are met as you are at that stage in your life so you've had a load of experience but people are meeting you for who you are there and then so nobody knows your parents nobody knows all the your friends nobody knows the drama of anything that's happened prior to that so you show up as that person and then as a result of that people want to know more but equally if they value where you're at at that point then they open doors and they say this person we want to include into this next chapter and then they open a door for new possibilities so in some ways I didn't ever have a big game plan about, you know, at this point, I want to have a business. You know, I was just always approached like, can you look at this contract? Can you be my agent? What do you think of this? I've been approached by this person. Do you think this is a good move for me? So I've always been around that environment. Plus, I've been on stage. I've signed those contracts or refused to sign them based on things that I've seen in them that have just not made sense to me, for example. Uh And I've been around also... I've seen it at the absolute highest level of how to navigate an industry with integrity and how to grow a profile to the outside world. So all of the things that Creative Blood is now is just a massive like mishmash. And that sounds really sort of, you know, like I'm playing it down, but it's the real deal because it's the bones of, you know, creative blood, sorry to say, but, you know, like the name was born out of what comes with everybody who works with us. You know, anybody who has, like, hopefully they feel the same thing, that it's a supportive environment, it's trusted, there's there's instinct, there's possibility, there's no set rule, there's no, there's a foundation and we are rock solid, but the possibilities are absolutely endless. And so whether I'm talking to an artist, whether we're talking to a client, whether we're on set and there's a curveball, you know, of course, all of these things happen all day, every day. Mm. We want to be able to facilitate a conversation that feels like it's rooted in an experience. It's rooted in integrity and it's got all of the ingredients to be able to sort of go on a journey, whatever that journey is. Mm. Of course, it's been production. It's been, you know, working with clients directly, whether it's, you know, the commissioning, the art buying, it's where you bring value and where you are, again, just like we said before, able to deliver. Because without, you can say what you want about who you are, but unless you can, you know, you've got to be able to follow through. Yeah. And, and, you know, deliver on the promise, you know. Yeah. I love the, I love the two points, the delivery of what you say, but also where you're giving value. Those are my two points that I sort of take away from from what you just said there. Like, where do you give value? And of course, there's so many different people that you listen, well, I've listened to podcasts and motivational speakers, like where is your value in your space? Like, And I think a lot of people take, it, sometimes it takes a lot, a long time to, to know where they bring value to their space. Cause sometimes you are floating through space but you actually don't know where you are. Maybe you are giving value, but you don't know you're giving value. Do you know what I mean? Like I yeah. met I met a guy on a train last night because <laughs> I talked to Does random people 
And um, he just turned around to me as he, as you said about questions. And he said, I'm so sorry, but um, I, I overheard a conversation and um, I want to know what is the metaverse? And I was like, I was on a call and I thought, and so, and then, and then we started chatting about life and stuff. And he was like, oh, I'm, I'm not really happy what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm working as a chef. I just Wait, how did he go to, from metaverse to his life? One is I was on the phone talking about the metaverse with someone. And then he was like, then, so I explained what the metaverse was. And he was like, oh, what do you do? And I, exposed, I basically explained what I did uh, and how I navigate and stuff. And uh, my, my, my journey, like where I got to. And he was yeah. like, oh, my God, your journey sounds like so, so interesting. And I was like, oh, well, I just sort of I meet people along and the opportunities arise. And he was like, oh, I'm just not enjoying myself at this moment in time. Like I'm a chef and, and stuff. But I, I start, but I started this business years ago when I left it. And it was basically doggy biscuits that, that have incredible smell. So when the, when the dog like barks, it smells of like perfume or like whiskey or whatever it, whatever it is. And I was like that's a great idea. Why didn't you do that? <laughs> yeah. And so then we had yeah. this whole conversation, but like, I think it's like sometimes uh, me, I might've said thought of that as like, it, I didn't, that wasn't really much, but for him, that was such value for me talking to him and just to give him that, to give him that encouragement for that idea. And hopefully he goes off. I don't know what his name is, but hopefully he goes off and does that thing. But sometimes we forget what value we give to people, whether it is that we're posting stories on our Instagram of inspiration someone reads it and people we don't think that actually someone's reading it but actually someone needs that quote or whatever that is and I think I think we need to sometimes step back and just go are we giving value and if we are giving value that's amazing I need to be doing more of that and if I'm not doing it then I need to find a space to give value to sorry my spiel done (laughs) no 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 it makes perfect sense I think the value thing's something that you you I think it goes through so many different stages because like value is what you think you bring. That's one version of it. And then there's the other person receiving it thinking, "Ah, you know, yes, no, could be you, could be anyone. But then it's only, and that's, you know, at certain points, I think, you know, whether whether you're freelance, whether you're a business, there is a constant navigation to be aware of. It's not about, you know, you have to set a course and, you know, it's important to set out your stall of what you're offering and what you are capable of. But equally, it's about the curiosity in and around that that brings the, you know, the sort of the twists and the turns. And that's really important to consistently keep going, I think, because, you know, things change, people change, industries change. And you've got to be, you know, aware and equally interested enough to to be open to that in order to be able to find out whether it's for you or not. Mm. It's not everything for everyone, right? You just have to sort of, you know, um, follow your instincts, follow the passion, and then it's got to be rooted in, again, back to delivery. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very, you know. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we, we obviously we, we we had a walk up weeks ago, and you, and you gave me some really good advice, and we and and about like how do you manage your time and opportunities and stuff, and and I think again it's about being open, but then it's also like what do you, where do you want to go, and what do you need, and 
and how are you managing your time and for the opportunities that are arriving in your space and time and, and I think having that conversation with you really like opened my eyes to go okay so this is what I want to do how do I navigate my space a bit more to give well to give value to my space and to also utilize my time effectively and I think that's also another thing as well is to think about how do you where do you want to put your time like do you because people don't people sometimes I think people don't really um they don't put their time into places that they think that's the best for them or they don't put time in in places that they think they really want to or they don't put priority onto it like I wanted to go for instance I wanted to go to do a soup run with uh, my family recently and because I wanted to go in and give support and help people who are less fortunate than than I'm and I made time I made time for that because I think it's important and I think people just don't think about so much maybe I don't know I think I, I, maybe as you get older obviously time becomes more apparent to you and you go where do I want to put more my, my effort my energy into there are so many decisions for everybody to make on a daily basis but you know sort of the time conversation is I think for me personally I always come back to what do I have to do versus what do I really want to get stuck into? And it's mm. the stuff that you really want to get stuck into that normally takes up the majority of your time. If you're lucky enough to a certain extent, but then there are things that just have to get done in order again, like back to the being rock solid and the delivery, you know, you sort of have to marry those two worlds between like, you know, the stuff, you know, um, like the vision, and then the reality of it. And mm-hmm. I think bringing those two worlds together, the combination of the two is like absolutely explosive. I think, you, you know, if you, if you are able to marry those two, and then there's obviously, you know, like, you know, the sentiment of like side hustle, hustle, and what have you got running on the side? If you've got too many things running, too many, it's just, dis- I mean, you can't, it's distracting, you know, you yeah. can't give your all to everything. Yeah. If you're really sure and you, and you feel it like this is where I can best serve whoever it is or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm absolutely unapologetic about that. You will find a way to navigate it. Whereas if you're doing multiple things, you're sort of spreading yourself so thin, you can't bring all the rocket fuel needed because there's so much noise. There's so many distractions. There's so many people that want to pull you in 300 different directions, you know, family, you know, personal, um, you know, all the sort of media and the social side of things and, you know, uh, personal relationships, work colleagues, you know, just every, every person and sort of, entity that touches our world I, I really feel like they can be massive drains to us but and I'm the worst at this so basically don't listen to anything I'm saying right now but <laughs> when you know you love something in a funny way from my humble humble experience I feel like everything just falls away yeah it's when you're not sure that you try and juggle too many plates and coming from I didn't mention it before but like you know Circus analogies are a favorite. I sort of love the circus background. That was something that was very important to me growing up. So I was, you know, always on a unicycle, you know, juggling fire clubs and stuff like that. So I was always 
you know, I was used to that, like, you know, um, trying to stay, like, you know, sort of strong inside and mm-hmm. like using the unicycle as a metaphor, you know, you've got one wheel, what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. You're on it, you've got to stay on it. And then you've got the element of like the clubs, you know, and they're all, you know, they're all on fire. They're all jumping all around the place. You've got to catch them. If you've got too many going, one's going to fall. And is the one that's going to fall the one that you love? Yeah. Yeah. You can't have that. Like that's no. not, that's your, that is your, that's what gets you up in the morning. Mm. That's why the fewer, the better in my experience at this point anyway. And mm. it, you know, that's, I guess it sort of comes from experience, doesn't it? You, you start to, you know, make a little bit more space, hopefully for, you know, for the things that are important. Yeah. So yeah. And it's different for everyone, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. What's your priority? What's your priority? That's, that's what c- yeah. goes down to it, isn't it? What's your, what, well, yeah. What's your priority? What do you, what do you love and what can you sort of not love as much, but maybe you and spend a tiny bit of time doing that. And then, cause like some people have like side online hustles uh, that yeah. keeps them going while they're doing writing, for instance, if there's like a screenwriter. Absolutely. So it's yeah. just like, how do you navigate that? Like, how do you find the time to do the stuff that you really want to do? And then find times that you don't really want to do something else, but it sort of needs to do it just to keep you going a bit, maybe financial. Yeah, but you will feel differently depending on which one you're working on at oh, any for one sure. time. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. And you'll naturally, you know, have, all, you know, three million ideas about the one that you're really passionate about. And that's, you know, you still got to, you know, when we're talking about having, you know, side hustles and like bringing actual just like day-to-day money in to be able to be practical and living, that's one element. But there are, so many other elements I think come into play it's timing it's you know are you out there you actually in the environment that you want to be in order to at one point make that transition because otherwise if you're not you've got to be living and breathing the thing and there unfortunately it's called hustle you know because it's it's tough you know it's not meant to be easy otherwise you you know I wouldn't call it a hustle. It wouldn't be a thing, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know, as long as you love what you do, as long as you love what you do, and then you have the, you know, things are rooted in, you know, the discipline of being able to make rent and everything that comes with, like, life, but where you spend your time and your energy mm. should absolutely be overflowing the second you put your pen down or you close your laptop with mm, the yeah. other thing, it's like, right, game on. Now we're mm, back in, mm, you know? So true. So true. So as we conclude this episode, even though this could be like a three hour, uh, <laughs> hour episode, no, not Sarah. I, I wish we could. Um, I always ask my guests uh, the give back question. So if you could give back to our audience, something that's inspired you, or someone, uh, what would it be? Might be a podcast, might be a quote, might be a film, anything, or an art piece. What would it be? I didn't prepare for this. No one ever does. I always say say beforehand, and then they get to it, and you're like, uh. Yeah, record scratch. Um, I mean, again, not, not rocket science. I think, you know, you have to follow your gut. You have to follow you've got something that will always navigate you 
it's also about finding your people. Like none of yes. us can do it on our own, you know? It's about community, no. about partnership, about trust, about loyalty, about integrity. And if you find, and if you, you, you look to find, because it doesn't always present itself to us, you have to get out there and get in the game and sort of play a little bit to find out who these people, and sometimes they're not the people that you thought they were. But if you're not out there, you know, there are online communities, there are lots of different types of spaces where you can come together and find the people, because I feel like everybody's always sort of stronger together. If you follow your gut, you follow your instinct, you know what you love. And even if you don't, you know the kind of person that you want to be around or the kind of environment that you want to be around. Of course. That's yeah. sort of like find your tribe, you know, you've got to find a community. And I feel like, you know, that's when collaborations happen. That's when someone says, oh, I love what you did there. What about we do something here? And then other things happen. So I think it's about like community, find your people, follow your instincts and love what you do. Non-negotiable, love what you do. And one other really small thing Watch the Defiant Ones on Netflix, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. And yeah, I've watched that. Oh. That's killer. I mean, watch that and you will find out all about creative integrity. You know, somebody who's offered every endorsement under the sun, but he was like, you know what? We actually, what do we do? We do music. I don't want to, you know, don't want to create a sneaker for, you know, a sports brand. Actually, what I want to do is, is what I know. And then, mm. you know, cut to, we know the rest of the story there. So they did all right. They followed their <laughs> yeah. guts, you know? They did, they did. They followed their guts and they followed their, yeah, their intuition of, of what they know is right for them. And I think I think everyone sometimes ums and ahs what decisions that they might do. But I think deep down, people know. But they, they saw Fair. this fluff in their head. But they deep down know. It's like when you when you have a bad relationship with in your with someone, and you got to say to your partner, you got you got to say it's not working out with your partner. But someone's got to say it. Yeah, deep down, deep down, you know it. We need to split up. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? That whole kind of gut thing. And I, and, but I, I had this recently this week as well. And I, I was thinking of you while I was. <laughs> while I was going through it and I was like I know what my gut I was like I know what my gut says but my brain is in this whole fluffy thing but I know what I really need to do so I took your advice and I was like okay I'm gonna do this so uh yeah so thank you so I said this before then yeah that's the funny thing like sometimes you that's the thing when you're living like when you're actually just living and breathing the thing you're not actually conscious of what it is because you're just following that feeling. Yeah. And so I probably said something to you. I wasn't even aware of it. Yeah. And now I'm repeating it because it's the only thing that I know how to do. It's not, there's no formula, you know, there's no handbook. There's definitely no, you know, sort of like do this and this will happen. And that, you know, it's complete opposite. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that we have is that, mm. you know, the instinct, yeah. the intuition. So, so there yeah. you go. Well, I, I want to say thank then. you. It did. It did. It did. It really did. Um, so again, awesome. I want to say thank you so much for coming on 360 Yourself. You have been 360 Thank you very much. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to our awesome guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our amazing episodes 
We are released every Sunday at 12 o'clock. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram for more discussions, education, and inspiration at 360 underscore yourself. The host, that's me, Jamie Neal, on Instagram at JamieNealJM. If you do enjoy our episodes that you're listening to and certain themes and topics ignite within you, please email jamie at 360.co.uk and I'll read out at the end of each episode stories and comments from you, the audience, the 360ers. And remember to 360 yourself.